listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture lesson today is found in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 53 to 72. You may find that in the Pew Bible on page 828 if you'd like to follow along. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many gave false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? He was silent and did not answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? All of them condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. The guards also took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the female servants of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you were talking about. And he went out into the forecourt. Then the cock crowed. And the female servant on seeing him began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And then after a little while, the bystanders again sent to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean and you talk like one. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know this man you were talking about. And at that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ron, for that reading. So um, Pastor Alicia already mentioned uh, during announcements that Sermon Talkback returns today. It's a little Q&A. It'll be happening right here in the sanctuary after worship. Uh, Talkback's happening at the same time as kids' Christmas play practice. So parents, um, feel free to, to, to 
be here while the kids are up there if you like. Um, and little ones, uh, any little kids who aren't quite up for Christmas play practice, welcome to join the fun uh, of Sermon Talk Back. I'm sure they'll get a lot out of it. Um, <laughs> Um, and uh, we're going to end that by noon, so if you are planning to go to gathering table today, um, you'll be able to do so. Uh, let's get into the sermon, and um, I want to clarify up front uh, the title of this sermon, Lessons in Faith Denial. I'm not actually going to be teaching you how to deny your faith today, uh, just, just so we're clear on that. Um, but we are going to be looking at Peter's denial of Jesus and what lessons we can glean from that for our own faith today. Um, when Ron started this reading, you might have experienced a little deja vu. Uh, that's because this reading overlapped with last week's reading. Last week, we looked at the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Uh, we're not going to talk about that as much today. But these two stories, Jesus' trial and Peter's denial, really have to be held together. Because there's two trials going on here. Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin for his life. And we've also got Peter, who's facing a trial of his own, a trial that he fails miserably. When Jesus was arrested, the disciples scattered, um, but Peter followed from a distance. Um, You get the sense that Peter's tailing them, almost. Uh, Remember, this is the guy who just a few hours ago swore that he would defend Jesus with his life. Peter might even be the disciple who drew his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and struck one of the guards on the ear. Do you remember that part of the story? Yeah, Mark doesn't tell us who did it, but like the other gospel writers are like, it was Peter. Um, So like, for the people who heard this story for the very first time, there's probably a little bit of tension they would have been feeling. Some suspense. Maybe, Maybe Peter is coming to the rescue. Maybe Peter still has that sword on him. Maybe Peter is going to swoop in, be the hero, make good on that vow, and save Jesus' life. Any hope of that, though, starts to crumble when Jesus is taken to the home of the high priest for trial, and we find Peter outside warming his hands by the fire with the temple guards who arrested Jesus. Uh, That's when a female servant of the high priest, she's actually a young girl, that's the language that's used, uh, spots Peter, and she accuses him of being one of Jesus' followers. Let's reread that part again. Uh, It's going to start at verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the female servants of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the forecourt. Then the cock crowed. And the female servant, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. Then after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean, and you talk like one. Peter's accent betrays him here. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know this man you are talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter's not coming to the rescue. He's not the hero in this story. Peter is revealed as a coward. He blows it. 
He blows it just about as bad as a disciple could do it back then and denies his rabbi. Remember, this is the first guy who recognized Jesus as the Messiah, who publicly announced, you are the Christ. This is one of Jesus' closest followers, part of his inner circle. This is the guy of whom Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. And he fails miserably. Which leads me to wonder, what's this story doing in our Bibles? Like, like why... Do we have this story? Uh, a lot of times when we read scripture, uh, we tend to ask questions about, like, character motivations. Why does a certain person do what they do? You know, we read Bible stories, and it's like, why does Peter deny Jesus? Um, why does Moses do X, Y, and Z? Why would God command Abraham to do such and such? These are the kind of questions we usually bring to the Bible. And they're not bad questions. They're just impossible to answer. Trying to figure out the motivations of like people who lived thousands of years ago in a different time, place, culture. Good luck. I can't tell you why I do half the stuff I do sometimes, right? Good luck trying to understand uh, Peter or God, for that, for that matter. Uh, a better question, though, a more fruitful question, maybe, is why did this story get remembered? Why is it in our Bibles to begin with, of all the accounts that could have been preserved, why did the authors pick this one? We have 12 disciples, right? They, they all scattered. Why is Mark focusing on Peter? Why have Christians for generations kept telling this story? What is it about this story that we find so powerful and so convicting? Let's start by talking a little bit about the context, the original context. Mark and who he was writing to. Uh, it's important to remember, whenever we do this, whenever we try to date books of the Bible or talk about context, we're speculating a little bit, right? The, the gospel writers didn't date their work. We weren't there. We don't know exactly who they were writing to. But a lot of really smart people over the years um, have studied this stuff, looked at the clues, and it helps us connect some of these dots. Uh, the general consensus among historians and Bible scholars is that the Gospel of Mark was written in the mid to late 60s of the first century. Like 65 to 70 would be a good guess. Some scholars might go a hair later, some might go a little bit earlier, but general consensus, 65 to 70 A.D. Now, we've discussed this before in here. It's a little quiz to see what you all remember. Um, what's happening in Jerusalem from roughly 65 to 70 A.D.? Rebellions. Yeah, a war is breaking out, right? It's called the Jewish-Roman War. Um, you had all these violent, radical Jewish revolutionaries who tried to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem, and it started this war between the Roman military and the folks in Jerusalem, the Jews. Mark, in all likelihood, is writing his gospel on the backdrop of this war. So that's the time frame we're talking about. Now, we haven't talked much about the context, the location Mark is writing from. There's some debates around this and some speculation, but most scholars think Mark was writing his gospel in Rome to Jewish and Gentile Christians who were living in the capital of the Roman Empire, in Rome. Now, question, what do you think it would have been like to be a Christian in Rome while the Jewish-Roman War is going on. 
Not good, Rod said. Yeah, not good. Uh, it would have been hard. It would have been a tough time to be a Christian. Um, it was a really bad time to be Jewish in the Roman Empire. Not like there was a good time um, to be Jewish in the Roman Empire, but that was especially a bad time, um, let alone to be part of this weird little Jewish sect centered around Jesus, uh, this Messiah figure who was killed by the Romans, right? That's awkward. Um, and my goodness, if you are a Gentile Christian, if you're a Roman citizen, and you're part of this weird little Jewish sect, while your country, your military, is at war with the Jews in Jerusalem, it would have been a bad time to be a Christian, especially in Rome. There would have been a lot of pressure to renounce the faith, to renounce Jesus. Social pressure, maybe some threats here or there of persecution. It would have been really tempting to say... I'm not one of them. Jesus, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. That's not me. That's not my thing. Mark is telling the story of Peter's denial to a group of Christians who would have been under extreme pressure to deny Jesus. And many of them probably did. It's actually our first lesson in faith denial. Denying Jesus is a lot more common than we realize. Uh, it was common back then, and it's been common throughout history. We like to remember the martyrs, right? We hold up the people who, who died for their faith. I remember uh, back in the 90s, there was this uh, devotional, like a daily thing of readings, uh, with stories of Christian martyrs throughout history. It was called Jesus Freaks. Um, I had it because, of course, I did. Um, that's what I like to read as a teenager. Uh, first thing in the morning was stories of martyrdom. Um, but you have, you have like St. Stephen, right, in the book of Acts, the, the first Christian martyr, if we don't count Jesus. Um, all the apostles are remembered as having been martyred for their faith. Peter was eventually martyred. Most of the stories from the early church are stories of martyrs. But we also know from the writings of the first Christians that it was way more likely for people to just renounce the faith than to die for the faith. Renounce Jesus in public and then maybe go on practicing the faith in private. We have writings from Christians in the first four or five centuries of church history who were debating, what do we do about all these people who've renounced the faith in public but keep showing up to our secret worship meetings? Do we give them communion? Do we baptize their children? Where do they stand? How do we navigate this? There are still places in the world today where Christians face persecution. Places like China, parts of the Middle East. There's even places like Russia where certain groups of Christians are persecuted by other groups of Christians. Might add Florida to that list. And we love to point at like a place like China where the church is growing, Christianity's expanding despite the persecution, but we kind of conveniently forget that there are a lot of places in the world that used to be Christian and aren't anymore. Places like Egypt and Turkey, they, they were centers of Christian faith and culture for centuries. Now they're not. And that's at least partly because a lot of the Christians who lived there renounced their faith over the centuries. And we can't judge them for that. I don't think I can blame them. 
we have never faced anything like this. Faith is not a life-or-death situation for most of us. I've never had to choose between my job, my life, my children's lives, or following Jesus. I hope I never have to make that choice. The first readers of Mark's gospel did, and maybe that's why this story about Peter resonated so deeply. Maybe that's why 2,000 years later we're still telling this story. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, growing up in church, going to youth group, uh, it was super easy to identify all the ways I had renounced Jesus, all the ways that I was like Peter in the story. Of course, youth leaders back in the 90s made every moral issue a denial of Jesus, basically. Um, you know, if you, if you didn't witness to your friends, you were denying Jesus. Uh, if you weren't brave enough to wear a Christian t-shirt to school, you were denying Jesus. If you tried a cigarette or went past first base, like you were denying Jesus. Uh, terrible theology, by the way. Um, James, please don't do that to our youth group kids, <laughs> if you could. Um, man. As an adult, though, today, it's a lot trickier to pinpoint the ways I deny Jesus. Especially in a culture like ours, where Christianity is so ubiquitous and Christians hold most of the power. Uh, we don't face persecution in the United States. Not really. We've so domesticated the message of Jesus, so uh, wedded ourselves to the powers that be here in America, the gospel isn't really threatening anymore. I guess that's its own kind of denial, in a way. This is actually where I find Peter's denial uh, super illuminating. Because Peter shows us that denying Jesus takes many different forms. That's our second lesson in faith denial. Peter denies Jesus three times, but each one is a little bit different. He doesn't just come right out and say, like, I don't know the guy, right? No, there's, there's an escalation here. Peter's denial starts with silence. The first step is complicity. He's warming his hands in the fire of the courtyard of the high priest right next to the guards who just arrested Jesus while Jesus is on trial for his life. Again, just a few hours ago, Peter said he would die for this guy. Now he's there like... Right? Then we see this escalation. Um, this young girl, the servant of the high priest, comes and accuses Peter, and first he feigns ignorance. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't understand. Then he tries to distance himself. Not with them. I'm not one of those people. Of course, his accent gives him away, so finally he just comes right out and denies Jesus. I do not know him. Complicity, ignorance, distancing, and then outright denial. I don't know about you, but that's a downward spiral I can relate to. That one, that one shakes me up a little bit. This one makes me nervous, especially if we think about this one in light of that passage we looked at last week, Matthew 25. Do you guys remember Matthew 25? We talked about this with the trial of Jesus. Um, Matthew 25 is this passage where Jesus talks about the last judgment, where he's going to return to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff. And the test of our faith, the test of our loyalty to Jesus, is how we treated the least of these. 
Did we feed the hungry? Did we clothe the naked? Did we welcome the foreigner? Did we show compassion to prisoners? I was thirsty in Jackson, Mississippi, and you underfunded my water supply. I was an immigrant lied to, forced on a plane, ditched nowhere, and you did nothing. When we deny the least of these, we deny Jesus. And denial is a pretty big issue in our culture right now, especially among Christians. A big area that I see a lot of denial is when it comes to our history. Um, We're seeing more and more books being banned in school districts across the country. Books like The Diary of Anne Frank, which is troubling if we're not letting kids read that one. Um, There's been a lot of news recently about this teacher shortage across the country. Um, I'll tell you, I have a lot of friends who are teachers. They're walking away from the profession because they're not allowed to teach anymore. They could get fired if they say anything that offends a white kid. That's why we have a teacher shortage. Are we living in denial? Are we denying Jesus by denying our past? by our unwillingness to look at certain evils? Are we denying Jesus when we feign ignorance, when we pretend it didn't happen? Oh, I'm not one of those guys. That's that's not me. Denial takes many forms, but it leads to the same results. Christians with a public witness, a public image that flies in the face of Jesus. Last week we talked about the prison system and the the criminal justice system. Um, And then at the potluck, someone told me they felt like I'd given them a gut punch, Uh, which is why we're keeping things a lot more positive today. Um, Here's here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. We're in a really dark part of this story. There's not much hope in this part of the gospel until we get to the empty tomb. Personally, I think it's a good thing if we read this part of the story and we come away feeling a little beat up. I think that means we're tracking. But I do want to end this sermon on a positive note. It's actually our third lesson in faith denial. There's hope for us when we deny Jesus. There's hope for us. A few minutes ago, I asked the question, why did this story get preserved? Why did early Christians keep telling this one? A big part of the answer is that this is Peter, right? This is the first pope, kind of. Peter was the leader of the early church. He was the first bishop of Rome. Where was the Gospel of Mark written again? Rome. To Christians who were in Rome, many of whom had probably denied Jesus. These are people who would have known Peter, or at least remembered him. He was probably dead. He had probably been martyred by the time Mark's gospel was finished. But they would have remembered Peter as a giant in the faith. I knew Peter. He preached at my church once. He baptized my mom. When my family received the gospel, it was Peter who preached the message. They would have remembered him as a hero. I imagine that would have made it all the more powerful to hear this story, to remember this story about Peter's failing. 
Peter had a bad fall from grace. Like, he messed up big time. Depending, or denying your rabbi was the worst thing you could do as a Jewish disciple back in the first century. There's usually no coming back from that. Once you do that, you're out, you're done. But Peter did. Peter came back. Later, gospel writers give us more details. Um, in John's gospel, we get this story uh, where after the resurrection, Peter, or Jesus comes to Peter, and he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Giving Peter three chances to reaffirm, to undo those three denials. Mark doesn't give us that part of the story. In fact, this is the last time we see Peter in Mark's gospel. But there's still a glimmer of hope. And it comes at the very end of the gospel. The closing scene of Mark's gospel, some of Jesus' disciples, some of his female disciples, come to the tomb on Easter morning to anoint Jesus' body, but they find the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. Spoiler alert, by the way. (laughs) Um, Sorry to ruin that one for you. But that's when an angel appears to these women. And this is what the angel has to say. Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. Tell his disciples and Peter. There's a part of that that kind of stings because Peter's not included with the disciples anymore. He opted out. He renounced his rabbi. But there's a bit of hope there too because this angel says, make sure Peter gets the message too. Tell the disciples and tell Peter. Jesus is going to meet him in Galilee. They've got a lot to talk about. Peter's not out of this yet. There's hope for Peter, and there's hope for us too. That had to be a powerful message for those first Christians. Those Christians who knew Peter, who were under pressure, There's hope for them, and there's hope for us. I remember this past year, uh, during Holy Week, we did uh, this event here at church called Illuminations of the Cross. We'd never done this before. Um, It was kind of this walk-through Stations of the Cross experience where you basically reenacted Jesus' journey to the cross. Um, And probably one of the most powerful parts of that for me was the station about Peter's denial. Um, We brought this big chalkboard up from the basement, and we, um, you can see we had a little, little like wooden rooster there. Um, and uh, we had all these different pieces of chalk. And people were prompted to take one piece of chalk and write Peter's words on the chalkboard. I do not know him. And by the end of this event, that board is just covered. I do not know him. I do not know him. I do not know him. There's hope for us when we deny Jesus. Whatever form it takes. Whether we do it out of fear or convenience or just plain ignorance. There's hope for us when we affirm the gospel in private but then fail to live it out in public. There's hope for us when we ignore Jesus in the least of these. We're not out. 
There's hope for us. But we've got to acknowledge it. We've got to give words to it. We can't go on denying. We can't ignore what we've done. We have to own up to it. If we stay silent, we pretend it didn't happen, we stay in denial. And there's no healing there. Let's pray. God, thank you for never closing the door on us. Thank you for forgiving Peter and welcoming him back into the fold even after he denied you. God, thank you for showing grace to generations of your followers who renounced you, often to save their own lives. And thank you, Lord, for showing grace to us. God, help us to stay true to you in word and deed. Help us to acknowledge, to confess the times when we fall short. And God, may we live in a way that bears witness to your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist on Twitter, at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.